it's a really good project. Yeah. Listening to a few episodes. I appreciate it. Interesting conversations. I mean, it's just a hobby, you know, to interact with people from different cultures and, and see um, the way people think and just break down some of those stereotypes, learn from each other. So it's been really fulfilling to me. So hopefully, you know, the folks that are listening from all over the world are also getting some fulfillment also. Yeah. Okay, guys, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, get to learn about other cultures. Uh, my name is Nosai Yari, and today I have yet another guest, a uh, multi-talented, highly spiritual individual, Felipe Gentle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I understand that you prefer being you prefer being called Feli. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Finally, how's your day going so far? So far, so good. How's your weekend? It's been nice. Been yeah. reconnecting with old friends. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And we're just talking before the podcast, right? Or how uh, you spent some of your formative years, I guess, in like some of your middle school years in DC, and you went out, and now you're back. Mm-hmm. So, how many uh, friends still remained in the region? A lot of people have left. I went to middle school and high school here, and uh, a lot of people have moved out, but. Some people are, are still here, and it's been really nice to see what's up with them. And uh, yeah, the city's changed a lot. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've lived in D.C. for just two years, right? And, like, within that two years, between 2017 and now, like, I've seen a lot of changes. So I can only imagine, like, people who, who have been here for or who has, have known the city for maybe a decade or something. Yeah. I kind of had a feeling that I wouldn't be able to do what I want to do and still make a living here, you know? So that's part of why I, I just... Didn't try to come back, but now I'm, I've, you know, it's your hometown, so you really want to reconnect. So. Really? What did you want to do? Or what do you want to do? I've, I've been living with people who are doing, very, like, ecological projects. Yeah. Um, certain types of gardening that's very low maintenance and based on natural patterns. And holding other sort of cultural events to get people interested in those uh, those projects, to get people to see why they, could, why they should care about, you know, ecological matters um and yeah it's not something that pays very much so <laughs> when, when you have rent out here it's like two thousand yeah. dollars you know, yeah no, i'm sure and we'll, we'll go into all that you know pretty soon uh but let, let's start from the basics so from what i understand you have cuban heritage you're cuban american mm-hmm. your, your parents came over from cuba or what what's the story there it's my mother oh your mother mm-hmm. okay yeah, her family is from cuba and she grew up in miami and uh, just made her way up north, met my dad, and I'm what you call a coyote. Oh, coyote? Yeah, a mix, like Anglo, Latino. Oh, is that a Cuban term? It's actually a Mexican term. I learned coyote. that when I was down in Oh, in really? I've, I've never heard that, strangely. Yeah, it's, 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 it's referred to someone who can cross the border, you know, and uh... like an Indian, like Indian, uh, Native American um, stories that the coyote is someone who can, you know, sort of jump around and and sort of just be a part of different activities and whatnot, um, and not fit in, but not stand out. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so. I, I guess the term I know is the is the PC term, the dreamers. I, uh-huh. I, I guess that refers to the same, if, if I get that correctly. So people who like... That, I think that's more specific to people with the DACA who come here, not born here, but able yeah. to stay because of education. Yeah. And that's a very important, very important thing. Oh, okay, cool. So, so your mom came over from Cuba, um, stayed in Miami for a while, met your dad. Where, where did your mom and dad meet? They actually met in Tennessee uh, oh. at a seminary, spiritually, you know, um, got that Christian gospel music. And, and um, 
that's where they met, and that's where I fell in love. And, oh, okay. So, so both your parents are Christian, mm-hmm. and they got connected through yeah shared belief in Christianity. Yeah, and it's a shared passion for holding this kind of uh, you know services for people and, and uh, providing the, the the faith, you know, bringing the faith to people. So, oh, cool. Yeah. How how connected are you with Cuba? Have you been back? Uh, uh, growing up, did your mom tell you stories about Cuba? Have you interacted with your relatives on that side, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's been fragmented, um, but I have been back, um, and it's it's you know I still feel strongly by about the culture. And um, when I visited there, more so than other places, I felt like I was a part of you know the people there, and and they they welcomed me in, and it felt really great. But the Cuban influence in my life wasn't as strong as you know. It would be if I was down in Miami or in Cuba, you know, I was, I was living in different places where where even Spanish was discouraged, you know, and so it wasn't as strong a part of my life. Wait, 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 you were living in places where Spanish was discouraged? Yeah, it, I mean, things have changed now. Things are more, you know, multicultural, but growing up, you know, my brother would be scared of being different, you know, and, and so... You, Can I ask where? It was, it was still in Florida, but, you know, Florida's a very, you know, a lot of different oh. types of places. And yeah. So... When you're moving around and working, my parents working at different churches, and, you know, which brings you to all types of people. But it, looking back, it's, there's nothing really, you know, I'm not angry about you know, anything, but it's just, it's just, you know, you don't really want to stand out. So you try to fit in. But um, so I think that impacted how much Cuban heritage was a part of my life. Mm-hmm. But as I grow up, I see it as something I want to reconnect to. And then I learn about the ways that it really has been a part of my life. You know, when I see my cousins, my aunties, and still a factor. So. Gotcha. Yeah, and a big part of reconnecting is the music, you know. Exactly. I mean, that's I always say that on every episode. The easiest way to get into or you know assimilate things from another culture is through music, food, you know, things like that. Uh, but but it's interesting you say that. You know, um, yeah, a lot of people. I mean, I can imagine maybe in the early nineties or late eighties or I think early two thousands, um, a lot of people went through what you went through in that regard. That you know. Being different, being in a place, maybe you're an immigrant or you're a mixed race or you have a different background, maybe you practice a different religion, you don't like fit into the norm. I can see how as a kid that can be a, a source of, because uh, you always want to have that sense of association as a kid. But yeah. um, I'm starting to find that, you know, being unique as a grown up is kind of like an advantage in a way. Yeah. And now I have more of the confidence to, to appreciate that and and try yeah so you could seek out the culture and, and really make it a part of my life yeah yeah but growing okay. up yeah you don't want to stand out you don't want to you don't want to get made fun of you don't want to get picked on looking different it was you know you look in the mirror and you look different from the people around you and it, it just kind of messes with your head and you're just like what do i do and my hair was different and stuff like that so but, um, but yeah you mentioned that more and more people are are, are talking about this now and, and it yeah, it's cool to, to know it's not just my story. So that's why I'm really trying to, you know, be outspoken about it rather than trying to hide, you know, or be ashamed of anything, you know, and make music about it, Coyote music, you know. Oh, is that the type of music you make, Coyote oh, music? Oh, just something I'd say. But you, you, are you trying to coin a genre of music? If I do, it would be a uh, go-go beat or a uh, DC beat. That's something I would want. Uh, go-go is already a genre, right? Well, I would you know, I wouldn't be the first one to do this, but like, putting hip hop and go-go together and have like people rapping. I also make beats. So that would be the kind of thing I would want to do. Okay. But, okay. But the music I make is experimental. It's, it's working with all types of different culture, but 
definitely the Afro-Cuban influences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to um, some of your beats online and I'm from Nigeria, so um, I'm, you know, I listen to a lot of Afro beats, but I also listen to K-pop, I listen to Gully, I'm trying to get into the Belgian music scene right now, but oh, right. yeah, it was yeah, pretty... Dance music is dance music. Yeah, I could like see, I could have, uh, from your beats, I could like tell that you, uh, you were influenced by like some dance hall, uh, some yeah. Latino music, some go-go in there, so yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. And do you know one funny thing I learned uh, over the span of the two years since I've been here in the U.S.? Uh, so my brother got married, like, what, two years ago or something, and he went for his honeymoon in uh, Florida. Mm. And I think he went for his honeymoon in Miami, if I'm not mistaken. I never knew about, like, Afro-Latina. Like, I didn't know that. Like, And he was telling me that, you know, like, for everyone, like, from his Uber driver and different people, like, they, they were, like, black. And when he was trying to, like, talk to them, and they were like, oh, yeah, they are Cuban. And he didn't know, and, you know, that there were black people in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just getting to learn about that and, you know, learning about the musician Amara Lenegra, uh, she being Afro-Latina also, uh, not specifically from Cuba, but that was something I didn't know. So it's just interesting to see because I always argue that, you know, black people are not a monolith, that within a country or within a culture, or within a race, there are different yeah. segments of people but you know it's before now and you know kind of ashamed to say that i just assumed that everyone in uh cuba uh south america just looked latino i had no idea that you know in parts of cuba and brazil and other places that you had people that didn't look so alike. yeah yeah um cuba prides itself for being like a mixed people taino is the native people there you know people coming from all over the world europe asia mostly spain and Northern Africa, but then definitely the influence of, of Saharan African people. That's what brought so much of the culture. And really, why Cuban music is so good is it's a mix of you know melodies, so good, and Afro, Afro beat. You know, way from the beginning, that, and it was the way that people carried the religion and spirituality coming from that, like, that Nigerian area, you know, West African area, the Yoruba, you know, people. So, um, it's. There, there wouldn't be music in this continent. There wouldn't be Latin music. There wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything like that without the influence of Afrobeat, you know. Oh, so we're not so different as people, you know. There's always something that, and that's something I've kind of like always seen with each guest. So I've interviewed guests from El Salvador, Kenya, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and there's always something that connects me with that person that I can identify that, oh, oh I never knew like, when I interviewed my guests from Saudi Arabia, you know, there are influences from Saudi Arabia and Northern Nigeria, you know, things like that. And, you know, you just start to think that out there in the world, sometimes uh, some people just identify things that can divide us, but fail to highlight things that unite us and make us similar as a people. Because at the end of the day, I always like to say everyone is more or less part of the same race, like the human race. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of my spirituality, I guess, is, that it's really about life force, you know, that it precedes humanity, it precedes animals, you know, it precedes life that we understand. It goes to the cosmos, it's something bigger, but there's these natural forces that, that want to be healthy and thrive. And we all kind of, we all have the same values, even though we express it in different ways. And, uh, but yeah, it's difference, difference, difference. We're all so different. And that's, that's something that brings us all together, you know. But, you know, but it's that life force is so strong. And yeah, music is my way of, of honoring that, you know. 
Okay, okay. Let me take it back a notch and talk. Let me talk to you about growing up. I mean, you've given us an instance of how you're trying to fit in, but how was growing up like for you? Like, where did you grow up? What cities were most memorable for you? Those early formative years, let's say zero to your teenage years, uh, how was growing up for you? Well, I, I was born in Florida and Central Florida area and lived there until the end of elementary school. And so that was a big part, you know, seeing. There's, there's definitely a mixture of, of people down there, um, from Latino, a lot of Puerto Rico people, um, there's rednecks, you know, there's, there's black people. In fact, I, I grew up right next to Eatonville, which is the first, uh, town founded by, by black people. Eatonville? Eatonville. Okay. And, um, but yeah, definitely heavy segregation, you know, but, um, and, and the politics of Orlando region, but that's where I was down there. And, um, yeah, definitely formative to see because even back then there was there was just a lot of different people around uh, doing you know, what everyone does and and then but I moved to DC and that's when really the world kind of opened up to me. I feel like you know I started meeting people from all types of backgrounds, mm. like all types of backgrounds, and I lived in neighborhoods with a lot of Ethiopian people and a lot of black people, a lot of gay people, you know, just all kinds of people. And um, as a, as a young person, I, I started to see that like you know. I went from being very outgoing, very like, you know, calm, like class clown to becoming very quiet. Like, oh, wow, I don't know very much, you know, so I'm just going to sit back and take it all in. What's the major difference between Florida and D.C.? I, I would guess that Florida is kind of like laid back in a way compared yeah, pretty to, laid back. to D.C. Yeah. Um, D.C. is laid back, too, in some ways, but there's sort of an intensity that people have to um, to like build their resumes and get get jobs and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, if you approach anyone in the bar in D.C., within the first five minutes, it's kind of like, okay, so what do you do? Yeah. And everyone, like, exchanging cards and lobbies all over the place, or business people, consultants. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, good for them. But I I try to avoid that question, although I am looking for other musicians to work with, so it it does, I do ask around, but I try to ask, like, what music do you like and, you know, things like that, but... Gotcha. Trying to connect people as a, as a people rather than as a as a cog in a machine, you know, kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely good to collaborate, you know, and network. And I mean, we met each other on a networking app, and I think that's something that's really changing things. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Uh, just because you talked about you know growing up in high school and uh, wanting to blend in, things like that. For someone like me, I would say one of my first ex exposures to the Cuban culture in a way, uh, besides, I would say, maybe things that were going on in the news like Fidel, like popular Cuban culture, if I can call it that, was the movie Scarface. And <laughs> I, would, I can imagine because, you know, growing up in Nigeria, there were also times when, you know, Hollywood studios would come in and make movies either in Nigeria or other African countries and to be heavily misrepresented. So I guess... Not talking about the violence or things like that, just let's say um, the music, the dressing, and just like the way of life. How good is the representation of the Cuban culture in Miami, in Florida, does the movie Scarface portray? Well, I have to say I've never seen Scarface, but I really I have a feel for what it's about, you know? Um, you know, kind of that mafia kind of... Um, yeah, cocaine the, slingers. Besides, or, besides the violence and the stereotypes or things like that, just like the 
the culture, like, you know, the food, the dance, the music, um, that kind of the, the way they talk, the how they relate with each other, things like that. Just it's like cutting in, out it's the in the 70s, right? I think it was in the 80s, the mid 80s. 80s yeah. Okay, yeah, that's when, I guess, I mean, I, don't, I know you're not bringing it back to that, but yeah, that's when the drug trade was really starting there. And that really made Miami what it is. And a lot of people were leaving Cuba for those opportunities, not just those opportunities, but all types of opportunities. Um, and I, I can't say if the, if the movie did it well, but, but I think in general, pop culture has a thing for Cuba and, uh, it's, it's, it's food, it's dance, you know, Celia Cruz and, um, probably like the whole, you know, whatever else you see. Like, I feel like there is that spirit. It really is, you know, there, but when you go to Cuba itself, it's, it's, um, the, the hardships that people are facing don't allow it to be as joyous, I guess, maybe as it's seen. And then they see the footage on us you know, films and they think that the good life is elsewhere and over here we just have crap and um and so but the spirit of it is definitely there. But people tell me like there used to be better celebrations, but now these days it's it's bleaker and because the embargo to be honest, you know, there's there's this yeah. lack of access to necessities. Um, yeah. I think so. Obama tried to change that a few years ago before he left. Uh I, I don't know if that worked out. Um yeah, things have got things have got better for traveling to Cuba under Obama. Yeah, and that's what made you know my, me and my cousins and my generation more open to being able to go there. Uh, with my you know mom's generation, there was more of a taboo, you know, wanting to avoid um, and partially to to not support you know the the government that's there. But I feel like. These issues are not very clear cut, but there's a lot of ideological motivation for continuing the embargo um, because they see it as a part of the Cold War still. That's that's really just screwing over people's lives, you know, in a fundamental way, and preventing the like they'll, they'll blame it on communism, they'll blame it on socialism, they'll blame it on Fidel, and there's there's blame to be thrown, you know, in many directions, but in the corruption of the government there, but. When it comes down to it, there's the world's largest economic powerhouse is blocking a small post-colonial country that is, is it's fundamentally still the, the colonial plantation system that is the foundation of its economy. And it's not given a chance to develop past that besides being a truest point for, for, um, in a, just like in the imperialist state. So it's like we need to get beyond these ideological issues and look that these are people, you know, that are like wanting to thrive like anywhere yeah. else. And really, I guess the culture is a big part of why people still look at Cuba as a place of hope and enjoyment in this world, because, because despite great suffering, there was a lot of joyous music and celebration. Correct. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's the big part of it, for sure. Dominoes. Yeah, I, I, to I totally agree. I totally agree with everything you just said. Let me ask you one question. Is there a reason you haven't seen Scarface? Uh, is it just like personal preference or you don't just want to see it? Like, what, or what kind of movies do you like? like let's start from there. I, I would be down to see it. Um, the only thing I heard about it growing up was like, oh, that guy's not even Cuban. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I feel you on that one. And um, maybe, maybe he does all right. But no, there's no reason I haven't seen it. It's a part of Miami that my family wanted to get away from, maybe. Wasn't really part of our home movie collection, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, let's see. I'm, these days, I've been watching like music biographies, 
uh, biographies of musicians, you know, interviews and stuff. Uh, Nina Simone, I just saw one on, on her, one oh. on Quincy Jones. So I, I, that's yeah, the kind Quincy of is like pretty. I, I I didn't realize the number of things because when I thought Quincy, I just thought of Michael. But I didn't right. I didn't think about the things he did he was, with like he was everywhere. Yeah. the source. Uh, uh, was it the source? No vibe. The things he did with oh, vibe, right, yeah. and he, yeah, he kind of like started like a TV station and had all this music scoring for yeah. for television. Yeah, and it was, yeah, and even his impact on shows like The Fresh Prince and right, like yeah. I was like, yeah, connected everyone. Yeah, and, and this was like 30, 40 years ago, like without the internet, without SoundCloud, without... Yeah, it's a miracle. He was out there, Count Basie, he started as like a trumpet player with, with, with the band. And I wish that was still the thing that happened because, you know, there's like a touring band, you can start as a young musician with those. I would be playing piano right now somewhere, you know. Oh, so so uh, you, you prefer live performances over like what process do you prefer? Like live performances, delivering that music live to an audience or kind of like to me, live recording is, or conceptualization? Yeah, live is crucial. Um, the studios were a lot of experimentation and, and that's sort of a newer thing. It used to be live was where the experimentation was with jazz, but now, you know, you see with producers like Kanye West, yeah. you know, they see more like teams of people working together to create uh, just some, like a completely new sound. And I yeah. love that aspect of it. Uh, the gorillas, you know, just collaborating, theory corporation, people just bringing in all types of, of guests and working together for, to create new sounds. And I definitely am really excited about that. But to me, the heart of music is the live performance, dancing, yeah. getting the crowd moving, you know, the sweat, the, you know, the whatever substances people are on, you know, and you know, that's, that's a decision. Um, it just it just creates a different vibe and and that, that that's the heart of the Afro Cuban religion that you know you, you people come together to celebrate, share food, give thanks, feed the ancestors, and, and dance together all night and that's that's the heart of it. That's that's the beauty. Totally agree. Like collaboration and it's funny you said Kanye West. Like if you look at the credits for an average Kanye West song, like thirty five people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the collaboration is key. Uh, it's been a long time since I heard anything from the Gorillas, but. They had like a really popular song that was popular in my high school, I think 2003 or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably playing Eastwood or something. Uh, yeah, they had like a cartoon video yeah. kind of thing. It's, yeah. They had a whole multimedia, you know, creating a different image, a different vibe. That's pretty sweet. Like changing the industry, you know. Yeah. And just imagine that is happening like in entertainment or in the, I would say entertainment in general. Like you see collaboration and people bringing the influences from their culture, their backgrounds, and putting it in a creative, uh, making it into a song or a movie, and you see how that's making entertainment richer in a sense. So I just wonder when we can do that for like the mainstream, like business or that's a, yeah. politics that's a great question. or things like yeah. that. I don't know. That's a beautiful question. Because most times entertainers are always open to, uh, they're always liberal and open to you know interacting with people from other places, but not so much traditional institutions like yeah business businesses get rewarded for consistency and uh, delivering a same service but the economic reality is that things are constantly changing and the world is changing the evolution is, is flowing at all times and challenging status quo at all times and, and uh, to me the, the whole our whole sustenance infrastructure is is transforming and so people approaching you know services businesses from more artistic ways that's something i'm very passionate about hope to support in ways i can along the way oh yeah 
Well, that's a good segue into something I know you're a part of. Uh, and I tried to do some research like before this episode. I, I never really knew it existed, uh, but permaculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll wait for you to explain to kind of see if I experienced something similar like growing up. Uh, but what exactly is permaculture? Uh, how did you get into it? And what are you doing in that space right now? Well, I always had a feeling like I wanted to be a farmer, you know, because I I didn't really want to work for my food. I wanted to grow my food, you know, and not have to go somewhere else and get get my food. Did did that stem from uh, the year? Did you yearn to eat more natural foods? Or what was the reason behind you wanting to grow your own food? It's going to sound stupid, but I just didn't really want a job. (laughs) Okay. And I wanted to work for myself, I guess. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so that kind of spirit went behind it. And then, um, and I, and so permaculture, I got connected to when I was in school and high school or college. college. Okay. And I was just meeting different people who, who just, you know, doing different things. And permaculture was appealing because it's considered like lazy farming. You know, you just plant the seeds and like let, nature do its thing and also permaculture is done outside mm-hmm. oh okay well it could be anywhere it, it's so the fact is permaculture isn't just considered a food system but it's more like looking at natural flows natural principles and allowing for that to be a part of the decision making process for how we set things up so okay. this room right here could be made more permacultural by having like natural lighting um, oh. that you know we we would be more comfortable in and, and healthier for our, for our, our mind and our body. Getting as close you know. to nature as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or we could, you know, it, it could be a, it could be a, see, it's not like a set principle. It's not like a set approach to setting things up, but it's more like principles to keep in mind. So it's like, what, what would require the least inputs, you know, right now we're, we're using electricity to, to light up um, these lights and the computer and the microphones. Um, but what if there was, what if there's a way to generate electricity that was, you know, just like, like a waterfall flowing and we just catch mm. the water from it, like something that was already going to happen. So that way we don't have to keep introducing new inputs because that, that take, that's work, you know, that's labor. Yeah. It's, it's just we're pushing against nature rather than just like, oh, this water wants to flow. Can that be solar also? Yeah, solar could be part of it. Um, and there's, there's different people. I, I would met people, I met people that would be just completely rejecting of any, any use of electricity. They would, they would be down for certain types of appropriate uses of technology. You know, they would use like very minimal, they would use like solar ovens that use like direct solar uh, cooking for their food or um, wood stoves that burned off of minimal fire uh, because the way it was created, you know, like to combust very well. Um, and they're called rocket stoves and I learned how to build those. And so that, that's the stuff that started lighting me up. I was like, well, there's, they're like, they're a positive, affirmative kind of decisions we can make to to confront things that are killing our souls, you know, and, and threatening our existence, you know. So there, there are ways to set up life to be more enjoyable, you know, and life-giving. That's the kind of mentality that really, like businesses and politics could benefit from so we can create communities that are thriving in this transition, you know, through, through whatever we're in, you know, late capitalism or, you know, what have you, and, um, and climate change, you know, global catastrophe, so. Nice. They're more like they're more positive things that you can smile about rather than yeah. like, oh, everything's going to, to hell, you know. So yeah, yeah. It, and that's that's really all we got, you know. So that's that's why I got really passionate about people talking about it, and I met more people that were living kind of off grid or in different degrees of ecological 
ways. And, and then that's what brought me out to the Southwest eventually to work directly with people who are doing that and having a cultural center that help holds events that introduces this to people in different ways by, by through health, through, through music, through sound, healing, through sweat, sweat lodges and different you know, things that, that promote life rather than heart. Just rejecting everything. You know? I help rather than I hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, well I'll, I'll talk in a little bit. We'll talk about the cultural center, but I kind of like want to know your thought process. Like when you were starting off with uh, the perma, permaculture, what did you, what was your first step? Did you jump right into um, experimenting with growing a certain crop? What, what did you do? Well, it became, actually came back to DC. I think around the time I was introduced to it and I went to um, a house here that sort of holds events. I, I don't know if it's still there, but I think they're called the Peace House. And they, they had an event where you look at like common weeds and find that they have medicinal and even edible, you know, uses. And so that's, I think that was the first step. I started looking around I was like, well, I could eat that. You know, I could eat small berries. I could, you know, make a soup with that. I could use that to help if I had, you know, a, a wound or whatever. And, and uh, starting to see like all the medicinal uses of like common what we call weeds or common plants. Dandelions are you know, highly medicinal. Like, really? Yeah. Dandelions have uses. Yeah, you can make tea. Oh wow! You can eat the leaves. They're kind of bitter, but um, the root is good for tea, kind of like a coffee substitute, you might say. And but they they also have ecological purpose. You know, uh, they're they're there like breaking up the compacted soil. You know, when there's like there's like construction or heavy traffic, like. The dandelions can appear and help prepare the soil for other life to thrive there. So they're, they're considered good, very good things, you know, but the common mentality is like, no, I just have a, have a lawn with nothing in it and use pesticides and fertilizer yeah. and gasoline to maintain it. Yeah. And, and that's, we're just working against, you know, and right now this transition is a lot of people's jobs are there to maintain this, like this maintenance that is not necessary. So what, what would it be like to have new types of jobs that are creative and lasting creating lasting, uh, beautiful solutions rather than maintaining something that's drudgery and despairing and whatever. And that's, that's the issue with health insurance, you know? You yeah. Know, I mean, you, sh you should ask Andrew Yang on that one. Man. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's got some interesting ideas. <laughs> yeah. He has interesting ideas. I don't know. He's not being favored by the media though. <laughs> he's not really getting as much screen time yeah. as some of the other candidates, even though he has some who consider smarter ideas than some of the other candidates but you know. i think he's, he's he's a little more visionary than um, yeah than almost too visionary <laughs> in yeah. a sense like maybe his next election the next cycle would be his but um, yeah he's, he's like the only um candidate i was introduced to really early on in this new cycle and yeah he's talking about universal basic income and yep so even hopefully that will be still a conversation even if he doesn't win because it's a reality that we could keep you know digging holes and then filling the holes, you know, and have people being paid for both, or we could all be moving towards something that's like a new type of society that, you know, yeah. is more life affirming and supportive. Yeah. You know? going, yeah. Going up against the behemoth, man, capitalism, that's, <laughs> it's gotta be, you know, well, it's, it's capitalism against capitalism, which is the funny thing. And what's going to win is probably capitalism, but it's going to be a different type of it. And there's going to be an evolution. And, um, because you have like old guard capitalism that that wants you know to destroy the productive forces that is the new type of capitalism. Yeah. And um, and but fundamentally it goes back to sustenance. That's the politics like I want to get behind. I don't want to be supportive of any one 
thing because those are all you know those are all time those are all time based those are all historical. You can support this candidate and find out this and that and the other later. About yeah. Them. Uh, but for me, it's about food, water, shelter, sun, and community spirit. Those that's the real politics to me. So I can I consider myself there. And anything that's supportive of those for people's, you know, well-being within this transition is, is what's important. And I think the universal income really would do that because it could cause people to be more innovative in how they focus on things that solutions. enhance the quality of life mm -hmm. rather than working at the gas station to, yeah. to get minimum wage. You know? so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, now that you've kind of like explained permaculture in a sense, it's kind of like different from what I thought it was because I was uh, kind of like introduced to vertical farming a couple of years ago. Yeah. But it's, that's kind of like the opposite. They try to use as much science, I guess, and the way I understand it, agroengineering to kind of like optimize the space given and grow crops as healthy as possible you are kind of like leaving everything to mother nature in a sense and just making sure the systems do not uh, depreciate the environment but rather enhance it and make use of those natural resources from the, so not just having the fruits like making use of other parts and all that using it as much as possible and i've seen people doing indoor systems that are permacultural in the sense that Oh, that'd they, be interesting. Yeah, the, 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 their hydroponics is also growing fish, you know, fertilizing for the plants, oh. and they're using the byproducts of it to grow other crops, to, to grow mushrooms, or whatever. They use the spent mushroom grain to, you know, feed to animals, and it might be all running on solar energy that, you know, that, or whatever, wind energy, or like some waterfall thing, or what have you. And so their permacultural principles can be applied to to optimize systems in a scientific way. And people really consider it like the indigenous science, you know, the indigenous, because it's like, it's what, what lasts after, you know, time and time again, like you see systems that want to be like this, you know? So, oh yeah, so like indoor growing operation could be, could be permaculture. Is there any large scale permaculture facility that you know of, or as it like, I guess I'm trying to see if it has become widespread in a sense or if the niche of permaculture is so grown on that you know some people have actually invested heavily is there like a large-scale facility or like a community that kind of like survives on permaculture yes yeah, it's, it's the it's the indigenous way of farming in a lot of ways we're in places that haven't been influenced by a more commercial-based system um, so off the grid so. pretty much mm -hmm. and so there, there are actually more examples of it working than we can know of, you know, mm. it's just like the majority of history mm. and yeah. um, not, ranging from hunter gatherers. It's documented, yeah. yeah. And yeah. That, that's the case for a lot of political experiments in general. So our, our political imagination is very small because we focus on the history of, of war and conquest and uh, rather than looking at all these thriving people that, you know, have lived in communal ways that are, you know, just, which is, you know, humble us, you know, you know so. You know, it, I always ask myself, like, how many, um, it's easy from my experience, and I might be wrong, for the U.S. to adopt foreign ideas that suits entertainment in a way. So whether it be yoga from India or basketball from Canada or even pizza from Italy, you know, but things like permaculture, microfinance, 
um, you know, ideas like that from other parts of the world, it's it's a little more difficult to get that into mainstream conversation in the U.S. I don't know. It, maybe everyone is just interested. And again, you know, I might be wrong. I'm sure there are tons of you know things that were you know borrowed from other cultures that are being used in the mainstream. But that I can think of right now, I'm just trying to find out what would it take to like really shake things up. Shake things up. Maybe music. Maybe you're on the right path. <laughs> you know, God willing, I hope so. Yeah, because yeah. when you think about people like uh, I guess. The Beatles, the later part of the, the later part of the Sgt. Pepper's and mm -hmm. all those other albums, they were more, and Bob Dylan and, you know. They're bringing different. Andre 3000, Erica Badu, yeah, yeah bringing different, you know, bringing it to the limelight. So. I, I do see it as a part of social evolution that, you know, it's not something that, it's something that people can be happy about rather than so, social evolution that people are scared of. You know, I mean, people were scared of the Beatles and, you know, what have you, but. It's, it's, uh, but ultimately it's like the music is, is good and people, so it lasts, you know, like sticks around. Like, I guess it's a part of permaculture too, is like the culture that permanent is, but it's, it's evolving constantly, you know, so gotcha. yeah, hopefully music can do that. Um, because we're at the end of the day, it's, we're, we're making bird, bird calls, you know, we're singing, we're, we're, we're just saying like, what's up, you know, and that, that itself is, it's revolutionary, you know, we're just talking to each other about emotions, you know, real experiences. True. And, you know, you can't, you can only censor that to so much, you know, it's, it just is something that endures, it's something that is creative and life affirming. So it, it just creates more, more energy and more steam and more support. And emotions, that's something that's, uh, <laughs> that's becoming more and more vague as, as as time goes by you know social media and everything like real life connections and all this. and i'm i'm one to say this because even me myself I, I like to say uh because um, i was brought up like in the my dad was in the military i went to boarding school and everything so uh, in some ways i'm a little bit guilty but i can also sense that the general human connection is kind of like just depreciating overall yeah and that's that's probably the most important thing we can do is connect to each other and as a life, as a life force, connecting to life force rather than, you know, this person from over here to that person over there, like, and, and think about all the ways that separate you. Just more connecting on a level of, we're experiencing a little pieces of reality, and we have we have so much to share to each other about, you know, what we've experienced. And anytime we could just communicate that and get people to have it as a celebration, rather than as a, something to despair or fear, you know, which is the fascist tendency would be to demonize other people's experience. Yeah. Rather than something that you know, celebrates other people's experiences and, and it's clarity and it's, it's, you know, un, unbridged, un, unfiltered, you know? And so social media in some ways is pushing us towards doing that at the same time as, as, you know, it's, there's a limit to how much it can do that. And so I would emphasize that social movements always have to be social. You know, even if, oh, nice. So oh, that's a sound by social, <laughs> social movements <laughs> always have to be social. Yeah. And I've been attacked for saying that because people think I'm being anti-technology, but mm. it's more about the appropriate use of technology rather than something that the, like the algorithms are not going to lead us to, you know, some new society. The algorithms are going to keep learning about us and trying to, you know, create new markets for us and hook us up with you know, different services in that way. But, but in terms of communicating raw human experience, there's, um, 
we have to go step out, step outside of the computer, you know, and really yeah. remember that we're this life force, life force, you know. I mean, people like Elon Musk may disagree because according to him, like the AI is coming to take over everything. And it's funny because I was just watching uh, the Christian Bale movie, Equilibrium, the old movie, I think it was 2000, 2001, um, Tay Diggs and Christian Bale. They were living in the society where no one is allowed to show emotions. And if you show emotions, you are charged for a sense crime. <laughs> and they'll jail you, lock you up, maybe execute you. So there was, there was no feelings whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a part of the weapons that are used to maintain a, a very oppressive system. Is yeah, hide, hide emotion and, and feel ashamed for feeling. Because my belief is that as long as there's communication, you know, authenticity, then we can only move towards something that's better. You know, we can only move towards something that's more life-giving. I agree. A society of robots doesn't last, you know. So I don't think even AI would be a thing because artificial intelligence wouldn't want to not be emotional, too. Like, <laughs> there would be a point that... Uh, I guess we'll see. Be. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. It's something yeah. to think about, but... Um, at least we as humans don't want to be robots, and that's why a lot of the society is changing, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's talk about the the Catherine Smith project. And um, is that the same thing? Is the cultural center an offshoot of the Catherine Smith project, or are they two separate things? They're separate with a lot of overlap with, you know, support for each other and people involved with, with them. I was living at the cultural center, and then uh, my friends... Okay, wait, just for context, what is the cultural center? Oh, so it's called the Eco Spirit Center down in um, southern New Mexico. The Eco Spirit Center outside okay. of outside of El Paso, and I moved there to just just to be a part of it and and to help with the gardens and um, build this earth structure um, and help host events. And how long do you live there? I was there just this past year. Okay. Yeah, pretty much just one year, and I'm still great friends with everyone there. And, I just left really to, to focus on music and as, as like a profession. So, and but while, while I was there, I was I was um, doing personal training and posting body weight fitness or calisthenics uh, personal training, doing trail running on the desert in the in the dunes, which was like right right where we were at, and it's in the Rio Grande Valley and right next to um, border with, with Juarez, Mexico. So it's a big mixture of cultures, and that's when I really learn more about what it's like to what it means to be a coyote you know a lot of cubans are there too actually and just the whole the whole culture of new mexico the landscape the indigenous you know spirituality it's, it's all very beautiful and, and so i'm happy that i was able to connect there and and one of those projects with people from there was the Catherine smith project and we hold events that are based around art and showing films or or um, different you know Good food or just community services like bringing together, bringing together people. Um, we hosted events at like a tattoo parlor that was owned by the tattoo artists themselves. And, um, and we hosted events at this multimedia cultural space called Power at the Pass. And they just had an event there on Saturday. So they're, they're still going on. Um, and the goal is to raise funds for water tanks that we install on the Navajo reservation because the connection my friend had to an elder there um, who was an activist um, for, the, for the rights of the people to, um, 
in the face of the coal mining that was disrupting our water, basically. So we, we bring water tanks that catch the rainwater. So we just installed two this past May, and it's going to just keep going. Oh, wow. That, that's, that's a very, like, laudable initiative. Um, Thank you. So wait, the, the cultural center has always been there, or you guys set it up? It's kind of a, um, it's newer. It, there was an art residency that's there in okay. the past, the past life of the where people who had it before, and and before that it was, uh, well, it's been a lot of different things. Uh, it, the building itself was a cotton gin that you know processed the cotton from fields nearby, and so it's a very agrarian area, and and so we hold events there. And, and these are like like art events, yeah, uh, all yeah. all year round. Mm -hmm. And there's nice. people who use the space as like painters or different healing modalities. And yeah, we just encourage it as like an open space for people to do that kind of thing and, and support like on a small level like entrepreneurs that were providing different kinds of services that that they wouldn't may, maybe find the, the same opportunities you know, in other places because we just probably charged very much to, to use the space. And, yeah, we really put the heart value first, and we were growing food around there in the permaculture way, you know. Right. And down over there, it doesn't rain very much, so you dig ditches to or rainwater basins to catch the rain when it does happen, and grow plants that could thrive, you know, in those conditions. It's a lot of desert plants. So, what, what type of, yeah, I was going to ask what type of uh, crops are popularly grown or plants are popularly grown there? In the neighborhood, in the, the valley, the Rio Grande, um, you know, the valley, it, there's a lot of cotton and, and pecans and chiles, but those really are not the most water. There's a very high demanding for water. So we, we would try to plant things like olives and jujubes and uh, pistachio and almonds and mulberry and plant some pumpkins. Chia seeds, and we had a little hemp growing, and that was, that was that's starting to become more of a factor there. That's, that's cool, and um, all types of things. My and my neighbor would grow arugula, you know, and more more salad greens, and all in a permaculture system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was just beautiful to see this land that was you know degraded, yeah, turning into very life giving green, you know. And just, it's incredible. Okay, so I, I guess I can like kind of like um, just say the cultural center is kind of like the hub, the venue where things take place. Well, the Catherine Smith project is the idea, but it's a specific idea to provide water for people in the Navajo Reserve. Mm -hmm. right? And eventually more places. How, how far is the Navajo Reserve from the cultural center? It's the Navajo. Nation is on the four corners of you know Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and from where we were in El Paso is probably like eight hour drive or so. Uh -huh. And the reason why we were working with with those elders there was one of the founders, Serena, had a connection um, to them going back for for a long time and. It started really out of out of their initiative to uh, to, uh, to to provide support. And just for context, uh, the the Navajo Nation is 
a Native American tribe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, over there, Navajo and Hopi people are are on very close land over there, and and it's, it's actually the largest reservation for indigenous on on the continent. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's like a, it's pretty big. You know, it's, uh, wow. Yeah, so you just go out there, and it's just beautiful. But there was coal mining on that land historically, and that has like destroyed some of the ecological. Yeah, the, it's the Peabody Coal Company, and Oh, is it one tied to a specific company? Yeah. Oh, wow. Really just one company. And so now there's, there's a lawsuit being haunted because they've destroyed a lot of the um, waterways. You know, mm-hmm. people had natural springs and that's where people got their water growing up. And now there's uh, no water flowing anymore. And that's a big issue. And, and that's the coal that was providing energy, not so much for the Navajo people, but for, you know, all the metropolitan areas in, in California and other places around it. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, no, it's there's been talk, especially now in this election cycle uh, that we're going up to now. There's been talk to reparations uh, for reparations in the black community, and some people are kind of like looking at the model. Some argue that the the Native American, the compensation to Native Americans, are not necessarily reparations, with um, you know them having title over their land or with the casino thing. Uh, and things like that. And do you think it has been successful? And I know this is like kind of like a political question, but do you think the government of the U.S. has done enough? Because when you look at things like coal mining in the Navajo tribe and how even till now, like water is still an issue, but sometimes the U.S. government says all these things about, you know, a reparation model with casinos and things like that and free college and tuition and things like that. Do you, do you think enough has been done for Native Americans uh, for all the things uh, that were basically done by sometimes just one company? There's there's diverse experiences that Native people have had in all, all different pockets of what we call Turtle Island, you know, this continent. Um, and they, some people are thriving, some people are, are really struggling and I would say there's been really no sort of reparations at all um, in the places that have casinos or they have sort of a kickback from industry that's there it it can often cause more damage than, than good and it, there's always yeah but I'd say across the board it, there's not been any sense of reparations for, for natives and, and um, Having sovereign land that's con- that sovereignty is constantly being challenged by politicians that have been planted there for commercial interests, or that, and then setting setting up the reservations to create conflict. For instance, between the Hopi and Navajo, they set up like land disputes to to create you know, conflict there. That's just all too common uh, across the across the continent. So I would say definitively no, there is not been reparations and it's not been enough and what we can do is is focus on life-giving political projects that support sustenance you know support the native ways the traditional ways that support you know sharing of culture in a way that's not commercialized necessarily and casinos are just i i mean i'm not a fan I consider them hell on earth, to be honest. But, yeah, but uh, they, I've seen places that have beautiful buildings that were funded by the casino, and that's good. 
uh, around the Albuquerque area, there's just like a tons of casinos that maybe make a lot of money for some people. Um, and hopefully it's bringing more good than bad. But if you go there, they really feel like depraved places that are, people are addicted to all types of cool. Yeah. But, um, it, in terms of a model of reparations, I think that's an ongoing, I'm mean, by, by no means qualified to like speak on this really. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's an ongoing, it's going to be an ongoing conversation this country will always have to face is, is a continual approach to, to all decisions, you know, based on restorative, reparative, um, mindset. Because, yeah, you, you can't just create genocide and then, uh, go too deep. But, you know, you can't, you can't just create genocide and then set up casinos and say it's all good, you know, it's not, it's not the case. So. Not true. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about spirituality. So over the course of the one hour we've been talking about, um, talking, you've made mention, uh, about spirituality and I would imagine that that's a huge influence on you. Uh, but what does that mean to you specifically? I know you had, uh, Christian parents growing up, but what does spirituality mean for you? Uh, is it in form of a religion? Is it a way of life? Uh, how do you practice it? That kind of thing. So yeah, I grew up in the Protestant church that was, um, it celebrated the open-minded interpretation of the Bible. And because of that, it's very diverse across, uh, across the organization. Um, it's called the Disciples of Christ. And they're, they're very, they're, they're, the disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. They okay. take pride in how it's your interpretation of the Bible that, that is you know, the most relevant to you and the most important. And, and so I started through the years to have like a more open-minded approach to Christianity that, and you see it more as like a historical kind of struggle across diverse people. And reading like the Hebrew Bible is, is not just about in like a specific group of people and their laws and their worldview, but it's like, there's a lot of different people, a lot of different authors, a lot of different cultures and languages. And, and um, so I, in my later years, I've grown to appreciate Christianity from that kind of way. And the teachings of Jesus, it's just like an ethical standard of like how we should approach life is to, to create like, the best society that we can. So I've, I've taken a lot of comfort from, from those, from those teachings. And I see that as a part of the historical struggle that we just are dealing with, that, you know, um, the same kind of dynamics that birth those religions are still a part of our life. So that's why I see them as being relevant. And, uh, and, and I think people from diverse cultures can have authentic connection to them. And that's something I was always focusing on was hoping that that wouldn't be at the expense of their own, their own traditions, their own, you know, native tradition and indigenous traditions. And so I guess I became more a part of groups that were more synchronized. I think the word is to, to connect into Christianity, but from different angles and different, um, different traditions. And that's, that's Afro-Cuban, that's, that's Native American church, that's, that's all types, you know, so, um, and so the way I connect to it is through the music of these different groups and uplifting music is uplifting music. You know, you can hear the cosmos through the music and that can happen in the club, that can happen in the sweat lodge, that can happen in the all night, you know, dance. And that can happen in the church, that can happen in all types of places. So spirituality is just is a constant factor and because it's life force itself. You know, it's oh, so you express spirituality primarily through music? 
drawing influences from different cultures but still paying reverence to some of the doctrines of traditional Christianity, so being that the way of how Jesus lived and things like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a pretty interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, nice. But I, I summarize it like the sweat, like in the sweat lodge and the drums, that's really my religion. Sweat and the drums. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're coining different things that we're talking about. Okay, you talk about Koyote music, now you're talking about this. But speaking of music, what, what are you working on? I mean, I was listening to your SoundCloud, some of your beats on SoundCloud. Very pretty good. Um, I guess you, you there, there was a song about summer, uh, All the Ways, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a little demo. Uh, hopefully, it'll be on my upcoming EP. It's going to be called the Sananga EP. The Sananga EP? Mm -hmm. What's the relevance of the name Sananga? What's the origin? It's a Amazonian medicine for your eyes. Mm. It, it comes from a tree bark. Well, not your ears, your eyes. For your eyes. Okay. How are you going to connect this to music? <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested <laughs> of, of hearing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's called Sananga, and it, I was introduced to it by my friend who was down in Guatemala for a little while and learned about some medicine there. And he brought it back to me at, at the Eco Spirit Center where I was. And, um, and he's, he just, he knew that this is something that will help you. And so I put it in my eyes, you know, you lie down. It's traditionally used often with, um, ayahuasca ceremony, but we just used it on its own. And it's like eye drops. You put them in one eye and the other, and then you open your eyes. And as they open the, the tsunami enters your eyes, enters your eyes yeah. and it's very painful. Like it's a shock, like <laughs> to your whole system. How long does it last? Oh, just a few minutes. Okay. But as as you you know reemerge from it, it, it it's very painful. And uh, but I see it as like it, it, your nervous system is becoming more. Uh, it's becoming like maybe your pain threshold is increased, or I don't know exactly what's happening. But it, it, they say that it's to treat something that's like an underlying dread. They have a word for it in, in Amazon. Like underlying dread or underlying like despair. So does it improve your immunity? Maybe not physiological, um, but maybe emotional and spiritual possibly. immunity? Yeah, this, all these things are. Is know, that what the album is going to do? So at first listen, I'm going to feel pain. And then you might. <laughs> over <laughs> re re not, replay value, I'm, I'm going to. It's more like the shock. The shock the, value. For me, okay. it's about the shock that prepares us to do the work, you know, okay. whatever the work is for, for, you know, in your life. Um, but the work being, you know, being being genuine where you are and what's going on and, and what's what you're feeling and um but being invigorated to do the work rather than despairing or or, or hopeless or you know just wanting to just like lie down and not get up you know it's, just, it's something that shocks you to to act and 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 i don't know what the work is though that's good for like further projects to figure out but so wow. it's just about getting started to do the work and figure out what that could be. You know? Well, so. you know what? And we're talking about this on the podcast also. I think you need to collaborate with uh, like a culture of artists in Nigeria called the Alte Movement. I just interviewed, I don't know what I'll call her. I think she's like the mouthpiece or something. I mean, she just came to uh, Maryland from Nigeria, Jessica, Jess, Jess, Finesse. So there's this movement in Nigeria, like a musical movement, kind of how the counterculture, uh, what do you call the Seattle music scene of the 90s, Kurt Cobain? Yeah, grunge. Yeah, grunge yeah. kind of thing. So it's kind of like that. It's like bubbling. 
up uh, in Nigeria, like these young teenagers making music that's not like traditional Afrobeats and jazz, just different, has a lot of emotions and a lot of stories behind it. You being a producer, I think like I can introduce you to a couple of people and you guys can make like amazing music. That would be a dream come true. So now I'm gonna, uh, when is this EP coming out? Exactly, or are you still working on it? Do you have like I'm, a timeline? I'm working line? on it, still writing okay. songs. I've got maybe two, three of the five songs written. Okay. And the goal is to have it really polished, you know, and and at a quality that that um, I could maybe have a live act to tour around with and just keep working with with more amazing artists. Yeah, it's I've made music for you know a long time and I've been in different bands, but this is sort of like where I'm saying. I'm actually going to try to, to to do this. You know, so, that's what that song on the SoundCloud is about. Like, I'm going to make a record. So, yeah. it's, it's more just hyping myself up to be like, I'm going to make yeah. this record. Like it's going to happen. But, I, I kind of like see you as, I don't know if you know, uh, Sixto Rodriguez. He was like a musician. Maybe you, you might want to like look him up. He, he was a musician signed to uh, Sussex in the seventies or something. So it's kind of like a, mix of John Lennon and Carlos Santana. And Sixto released, I think I don't think he had too much commercial acclaim in the US. Maybe he had some, maybe one or two singles went gold, but he was really he's like he became like Elvis in South Africa. So oh, like a, to, a totally different and he like in a way some people might consider some of his songs to have been the soundtrack to the apartheid uh, the anti-apartheid or you know movement or whatever things like yeah. that so it's just interesting how you know you create from one and it just resonates with people on the other side of the planet but i'll definitely be you know introducing you to a couple of alte artists and hopefully you guys get to do something i'll also have a link to your soundcloud page in the descriptions of this episode so people can check you out oh, thank you that's a, that would be such a bless i appreciate that Oh, great, great. Um, is there anything? Uh, I mean, I, I like to end the podcast with something called Endgame, which is like a small game we play at the end of the podcast just to convey certain information and maybe dispel certain misconceptions that people might have about certain aspects or certain cultures. But before we do that, is there kind of like anything you want to just like say generally? Do you want to talk a little bit about how people can participate in the Catherine Smith project? Like if someone's yeah. on the other part of the globe or something? Yeah, I mean, at Instagram, the Instagram at Catherine, the Catherine Smith Project, and the um, at Eco Spirit Center. If you want to get connected to those projects, um, I'm looking for people that are interested in these, these these projects, and we see how we can become more effective at bringing them and, and um, bringing the celebration that is bringing the, the the joy and the survival of what's good in this world. And just they're, they're holding events in the El Paso area, but they're open to collaborate in different areas. So, yeah, be in touch. And I'm on SoundCloud, and the link will be there. So, there we go. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate what happened at El Paso uh, a week ago. Uh, incident was, uh, I mean, incidents like these keep happening. And for someone like me who is not used to situations like this in any way, because where I come from, like, I don't think you're legally allowed to own a gun, maybe like a, a Dane gun or something for hunting, but it's not like widespread. So it's it's just unfortunate that we keep having yeah, it's tragedies. Like yeah. So, um, and there's a dynamics there that hopefully the music we can create will 
will transform that. I don't know how, but because to me the issue is not very clear, and that's why the policy is not very clear. Yeah, and the emotions behind it are have to be understood as the real experiences of very different people, and that is that's going to be a factor moving forward. You know, in a way that's restorative rather than that continues the violence. So, but definitely that that was an act of of um, white fear, you know, and in a way that was motivated, you know, and, and very destructive. You know, death, all my love for El Paso and all the families affected, and we pray that this won't continue happening, that we find a way forward that really transforms and brings the fear to rest rather than continuing to, to get people riled up. Yeah, I mean, peace and love to everyone, you know, that was affected by this senseless act uh, in El Paso. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, in our only two way we can, you know, use whatever little tools we have, be this podcast, be your music, whatever it is, uh, volunteering time uh, to just try to bit by bit, uh, you know, change people's mindsets about things like this till we have like a critical mass yeah. of people who are, you know, Spreading more love than hatred in the world. So it's gonna be the people's power that changes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's play endgame. Are you ready? I guess so. So I have kinda of like three questions. Uh pretty easy, I guess. Uh so I have one about Cuba, uh since uh you have uh, heritage of Cuba, I have one about permaculture and one about music. So kinda of like different aspects of your life. Three. My favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first one, pretty simple. Uh what's the capital of Cuba? Yeah, it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. Uh, <laughs> it's straightforward. Uh, it's La Havana or Havana, Cuba. Oh, you know, so you said La Havana? Mm, La Havana. Oh, so I would have just said Havana. Mm, that was the English way. You know, that's English. So La Havana is, mm. is uh, Spanish, I guess? Yeah. Oh, okay. So new information. Like, not everyone knows, believe it or not. Like, I get, you know, people listen to, so when I, typically when I interview someone from, a certain part of the world, uh, maybe Southeast Asia or the Middle East or Africa. I tend to have a lot of listeners from that side listening to that particular episode. Then some of them stay and continue to listen to other episodes. I'm kind of like having these pockets of listeners in different oh, countries. Sweet. So not everyone might know oh, that particular I, I, aspect. Maybe they moved the capital before. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not everyone is from the U.S. Not everyone is close to Cuba. And not everyone even knew. I didn't even know uh, the Spanish version was La Havana. I just mm-hmm. knew Havana. So yeah. new piece of information. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, do you happen to know how old permaculture is? How how long has it been practiced? <laughs> I think it's it's what created life. You know, it's it's the forces that life emerged from. So let me okay. Let me say modern day permaculture, like when the idea was actually documented yeah. and started, you know, That's deliberately right. implemented that kind of thing. The term was coined by a couple of Australian people who were studying the agriculture of the Tasmanian people, I believe, the indigenous of Tasmania Island. And and really what they realized is that indigenous people across the world have been doing agricultural practices and setting up their societies in ways that just made a lot more sense in, in terms of natural flows. And but the Australians were kind of like hippies that, that were like they're looking for something positive in the face of the destructive events of that time. And I think that's what they, they honed on to. And yeah. From there, it's become more of a of a thing. But it's, it's not it's not really the word permaculture that's the most important. You know, it could be, I say, ecological agriculture, agroecology, yeah. or yeah. 
resiliency, transition, indigenous farming, food sovereignty. So there's many words for it. Yeah. yeah. Damn, you know your shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, actually, everything you said is correct. Um, I guess uh, I would say the term permaculture was uh, came into light. So maybe the first known research on permaculture was yeah, in Australia, as you said. In an academic sense. Yeah, in the academic yeah. sense. Yeah, it was like 40 years ago, 1978, uh, mm-hmm. by an Australian grad student named Davis Holmgreen mm-hmm. and a professor named Bill Molson. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And the work they put out was great, you know, in terms of compiling diverse cultures and tactics and Mollison was more of like, this is how it is agriculturally, and Holmgren was more like, this is how it is more on a social level. And both of their works are very influential still for the permaculture movement, but it's, it's taken off in like that diverse ways that these things happen. It's, it's amazing for kind of gatherings that permacultural people have, you know, the communities to support. It's, it's really like a different spirit, and it's really, it's, that's real lack of permaculture. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay, last question. This one is pretty much subjective. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. But who do you think is the greatest songwriter of all time? Greatest songwriter? It would have to be the Santos, you know, the Santos themselves, like the, the spirits, the, 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 music, the music channeled through people. The Santos? Yeah, it's the word for just the, the saints or the holies, oh. you know, the, the sacred ones. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. People who can, who are, who are tapped, channeling or tapping into more cosmic melodies. And you, you see it all, in all, all across the world, all across time. Those have been the most important songwriters, the spirits themselves. You know what? I'll take it because Rolling Stone was saying something different. <laughs> so I prefer that version better. So I'll even say what Rolling Stone said. But well, Quincy Jones is pretty good too. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's been really nice uh, interacting with you. So last, before we leave, I just want you to draw up how people can reach out to you if they want to collaborate musically, if people want to know more about permaculture, the cultural center, and if people want to know more about uh, the project, the Kathleen Speak project. Those like drop different like social medias or email address or whatever for those things. Okay, yeah. On SoundCloud, if you want to work on music, I'm down to produce beats, you know, songwrite, sing, Anything like that. That's SoundCloud with Belly Devi. And for Captain Smith Project, that's at the Captain Smith Project. For the Eco Spirit Center, that's at Eco Spirit Center. And yeah, I mean, um, reach out to me on social media and hope to, to be in touch. Nice. And you guys can also follow uh, Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Uh, it's Culture Class Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Uh, send us an email, cultureclasspodcast at gmail.com. And just as a reminder, we'll have uh, Feli's uh, SoundCloud link uh, in the show descriptions. So thank you very much for coming, Feli. Yeah, thank you, Nelson.